Drink until you make it stop hurting. <laughs> That's that is the name of my autobiography. <laughs> This is Paul. Welcome, guys. We have a very special funny books. And not just because Wayne isn't here. <laughs> well, that that's what makes it special. <laughs> that's what makes it extra special. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, in addition, we are recording this about 12 hours later than our normal podcast time. Yes, yes. Yeah. And, I, well, and actually three days early, right? Yeah, three days early. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so we're recording this Wednesday night, the new comic book day, because um, we wanted to talk. Uh, well, one, I'm out of town this weekend, so that, there was that. Because that uh, th- Paul is demonstrating his level of commitment. He made plans without us. Yes, That's all I'm saying. He's just like <laughs> screw the funny book fans. I'm yep. out of here. F you guys. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> or instead. I found a way to record another episode of Funny Books, a very special episode of Funny Books, in which we discuss Powers of Ten, um, the new Jonathan Hickman, uh, the, the the second X-Men book that he's doing uh, right now as part of the, the weekly X saga leading up to the, the relaunch of the books. But before we get into Powers of Ten, uh, Aaron and I – now, but before we go into this, Uh-oh. let's say Aaron and I – somehow other outside of comic book movies have very different tastes in movies, or at least I should say we attend very different movies in the theater. I, I think honestly, Aaron and you know, Aaron and I do eventually watch a lot of the same things. He just usually waits till DVD or Blu-ray or Netflix or that's whatever. True. That's true. That, that, that is a true fact. Yeah. So, but Aaron goes to the movies for things that I typically wait for DVD on. You know, Aaron, you you like yourselves the, those dramas and and things like that. And I'm like, eh, I don't need a big screen for that. I'll just watch it at home. Right. Well, well, non comic book movie. Aaron and I saw the same movie in the theaters this weekend. It's crazy talk. It's, it's weird. Crazy talk is what it is. Well, only one man can draw us to the same movie. <laughs> <laughs> that and, that that isn't Captain Kirk, right? Yeah, so. exactly. <laughs> So Quentin Tarantino's new movie, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, came out this past weekend with Leonardo DiCaprio and Margot Robbie and Brad Pitt and a whole bunch of other actors that I apparently missed in the movie because their cameos were blink and you'll miss them oh, cameos. Man. Hard, h- hardcore. I yeah. mean, I, I have heard so many reviews saying, well, you know, this movie really rewards a, a second watch. And I'm like, wow, OK. <laughs> yeah. and, and it's because of all those cameos you miss. Yeah. And on a second uh, the, for my second watch, I'll wait till DVD or Blu-ray. Yeah. Be- because yeah. it is a, it is a two hour and 40 minute. Quentin and, Tarantino movie. And I don't know about you, Paul, but I felt that two hours and 40 yeah. minutes. I felt like there was a, there was e- an easy 20 minutes they could have shaved off this film. Oh, yeah. Now, you know, with that in mind, I, I will say the film does, despite the fact that 
for the majority of the running time, really nothing happens. You know, it's it, 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 it is in a it is a two hour and twenty minute setup for a twenty minute punchline. Well, uh, but I will say this is clearly a period in time that Quentin Tarantino adores. Oh right? yeah, I mean this is this is his time. Uh, Quentin Tarantino loves nineteen sixty nine like he loves feet. Yeah, I mean, it, it, well, and you know, feet make a showing, <laughs> but. Uh, <laughs> I, he clearly adores this time, and that is evidenced in the characters he wrote and the actors he cast, because I cannot stand Leonardo DiCaprio. Absolutely loved him in this movie. Um, I thought... Yeah, I thought He, he played and, off-type for himself, you know? Yeah. Very different than he normally plays. Well, and, you know, his character is, is that of sort of a... Uh, a uh, Western actor, a Western TV actor mm-hmm. who is on the end of his career, right? You know, he, he's, he's moving past his sell by date, you know, uh, audiences are not watching Westerns as much anymore. And, you know, they're certainly moving to a different type of, of actor hero and he's just kind of past his sell by date and he doesn't feel like he's got the talent to carry him on into the next stage of his career and his journey in the movie, you know, is you know very navel gazing for him. And I was fascinated by his character. I mean, you know, the 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 movie is is set with Leonardo DiCaprio's character Rick Dalton uh, living next door to uh, Sharon Tate and Roman Polanski. You know, the the scene of the Manson uh, family attack, the Tate LaBianca murders. Um, and so, I mean, the, the, this, this dark shadow is cast across the whole movie. Uh, but meanwhile, you're, you're spending all this time, you're spending very little time with Sharon Tate. Uh, you're spending tons of time with Rick Dalton and his best friend, Cliff. And Cliff may be my new spirit animal, Paul. <laughs> Cliff uh, is played by Brad Pitt and Brad Pitt stole this movie. The f- stole the fucking show. Yeah, I mean he uh, he is as charming as he could possibly be. Yeah, uh, he you know he's, he plays that good old boy character that that Brad Pitt plays, uh, but no dark edge, no dark edge to him this time. No nothing that you're going. This guy's terrible. In fact, uh, he is is thrown the opportunity to have uh, you know wild and carefree hippie sex, and he's like, how old are you? You're gonna have to show me a driver's license. I'm gonna I'm gonna need to prove up your age, and I don't think you can show me a driver's license that's gonna convince me. I mean, he really is a character who is above the line, right? Yeah. Well, except that maybe he killed his wife. Oh, she had it coming, Paul. <laughs> <laughs> Bitch had it coming. Yeah. But it was, though it's never confirmed nor denied that he right. killed his wife, that's the rumor. Yeah, you never see it on screen. Uh, this this movie fascinated me uh, as 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 much as I felt like it needed an editor. More so, it fascinated me in that this is a Quentin Tarantino film, and there are certain things I expect from a Quentin Tarantino film. And there's usually a really hard edge to them. There's usually a certain meanness to them. Uh, you know, uh, certainly, you know, violence is played to, to near pornographic levels. Um, but this movie, while it had every opportunity to do so, there is literally no nudity in this film. Um, yeah. There is a scene that visits the Playboy Mansion. I'm like, okay, 
Here they come. Here come the boobs. Not a single boob. Nope. Um, and there's there, no there's no use of the N word. There's yeah. no like five people pointing guns at each other standoff. And yeah. I know I'm you know but. I, I, I sound facetious, but these are trademarks of Quentin Tarantino. In most yeah. of his films, there's some type of standoff with guns. It hell, it, it happened in Django. It happened in um, well, and King I think Glorious Bastards a, and all those. I think that, that there's a big reason for it because I think this is his love letter to the to the to 1969, mm-hmm. and I truly believe it's his love letter to Sharon Tate. Yeah. Um I think. You know, I, we're not going to spoil the ending of the movie. The, the the ending of the movie is worth the price of admission. I'll say that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I found the movie to be exceedingly kind. Yeah. Uh, particularly when you look at who the prime, the the main characters are, and, and you know, Rick Dalton is a person of merit. Cliff is a person of merit. Uh, Sharon Tate's a person of merit. I mean, they they go to great lengths to to make Sharon Tate seem almost angelic in the film. Yeah. Like these are like it's it, there. Everyone is for the most part, uh, you know, other than you know the 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 Manson people, the Manson cult. Yeah, uh, they're they're decent people. Yeah. Like you know, Rick Dalton's got his issues, and he's you know uh, an alcoholic or whatever. But like you know, he, he you, you mentioned the kindness. Yeah, like there there's a scene where he's chatting with a you know he's he's acting with the young girl, and and in the context of the scene, he throws her to the ground. Like he, they're acting on. Um, and, you know, as soon as they, they yell cut, like, first thing he does is say, hey, are you okay? Did yeah. I throw you too hard? Like, the, like these are it, – it's it's an interesting – It's because it, some people come out of that and like, oh, that's that's quintessential Quentin. And I'm like, there – I got to be honest, yeah. that entire time I saw that film, I'm like, one, very few long cuts. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the, the, the pace, despite the fact that the film really could use an editor, uh, like you said, and, and use some trimming – the, the like the the their the the camera cuts are relatively quick for a Quentin Tarantino movie. There's no, you know, I, I'm used to Quentin Tarantino movies, especially his last, you know, his last round of films, basically being like five scenes, but right. like five half hour scenes. And this is not that at all. Even though it takes all place within two days, you know, one day in you know in I think February and then one day in November or something like that all within right. 1969 um, but you know it, it all moves at a very quick clip um, for a Tarantino film and it is missing a lot of and I shouldn't say missing it doesn't have a lot of the elements that you normally expect from Tarantino film ultimately this is a comedy this is a you know it's a two and a half hour long comedy set in the in the, the late 1960s but like a quirky comedy like a um, like a Coen Brothers yeah. type film yeah I, I I gotta tell you um, I liked the movie a lot I, I liked mm-hmm. I, because I liked the I like the writing of the film I like the actors in the film I loved their characters in fact one of the things that when I walked out of the movie I, th- I felt I mean it was it was I felt like I'm gonna miss Rick and Cliff. Yeah, you know, it's like I need another Rick and Cliff movie. Yeah, <laughs> and, and we won't get it. You know, not not from yeah. Tarantino anyway. Yeah, I I I, I thought uh, both actors were fantastic. Yeah, and you know, of course, you know Margot Robbie. I mean, it was just gorgeous in the film, and and just played the sweetest character that she could play. I just the I I, I really did enjoy the movie. You know, there was I had a a there was a gloom over me the deeper we got into the movie and uh i am i am happy to say that uh i, I felt like the, the the film ended well 
Yeah. Uh, you know, I just, I, I, I think it, I think it rewards the viewer. Yeah. It's definitely worth watching. Um, there are some surprises in it. You know, it, it is, I will say, you know, e- e- despite the fact that I say it's not a, a quintessential Quentin film, um, mm-hmm. You know, I, I will say if you've never been a Quentin Tarantino fan, this isn't going to turn you around. But there's a lot there to like, uh, you know, but there like it, it is about 20 minutes at least too long. Yeah. 20 minutes that that's not just stylistic, but genuinely wasteful. Uh, yeah, I, I did feel like there were some rather masturbatory uh, d- directing directing scenes like the scene mm-hmm. where they. They follow up over the drive-in and then move yeah. past the drive-in into where he parks his, where Cliff parks his trailer. Yeah, I mean that was a, a that was took forever. It felt like I'm like, yeah. oh, come on. And the, the, you know, that, the, like that was the, this is Quentin Tarantino's driving movie, right? right. Uh, right. More so than Death Proof, in that you you see someone walk out of a house, get in a car, you see almost the it feels like almost the the, the entire, entire line, the entire yeah. drive. Yeah, um, from the yeah. back seat. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, don't get me wrong. Visually, it's well done. Uh, I, I feel like the point could have been gotten across with 75% less driving footage. And, <laughs> and, and there is a significant amount of driving footage. There is footage. a lot of driving footage. Yeah. I, I will tell you that there is a scene where uh, Cliff picks up a hitchhiker mm-hmm. and she's hanging inside the car mm-hmm. and the camera is taking long, leering looks at her backside. Yeah. As she's leaning in the car, I'm like, okay, here comes that scene. <laughs> and it never happens. And that's the, demonstrating that Cliff is a good guy. Yeah. You know, I mean, because he, he absolutely could have taken advantage of a teenager and doesn't. And I mean, that's where you're like, wow, you know, I, I like this Cliff guy. Yeah. You know, because I mean, the does camera a lot t- to make you like Brad Pitt's oh, yeah. character. Absolutely. absolutely. And Rick Dalton. Uh, yeah. Rick Dalton, Leonardo DiCaprio's character. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah. Well, and, you know, I, I thought that I was going to hate Rick Dalton's wife, you know, at the end of the movie and kind of liked her, too. Yeah. <laughs> you kind of like everybody who's not a Manson family member. Yeah. You know? Well, so. I think that's the point, right? Like Even they're... even even that shitty Al Pacino. <laughs> <laughs> he was good in this film, at least. I, he, was, he was. He wasn't his over-the-top usual performance. You know, one thing I, I will say, um, I saw the new trailer today for The Irishman. Uh, yeah, I saw that that came out. I haven't I haven't watched the trailer yet. How is it? Um, so it it looks. I mean, it's, it's so for anyone who's not familiar, the the uh, the Irishman is a new Martin Scorsese film. It has Al Pacino, Robert De Niro, Joe Pesci. Um, Straight to Netflix, right? It, it, it will limited theatrical release, but I'm going to assume very limited. Uh, but yeah, it will be available on Netflix. It's probably I think the most expensive Netflix film uh, to date. Uh, I am super excited for it. Uh, the, it what's, what's interesting is the um, it takes place over the course of several decades, and they use that like Marvel de aging effect. Oh, and and you know you see it in the trailer, and it was a little distracting. Um, it, it's almost a little too uncanny valley, and I know the film is still, you know, still a ways from coming out. But there are aspects. Um, there are a, a couple of shots in the trailer, specifically the last shot of the trailer, where I'm like, that's a little too CG for me, um, you know. But that being said, it's a, it's a Scorsese film with a, an amazing cast, so I'm looking forward to it. Cool, I'm looking forward to it as well. I uh, I, I love Scorsese's gangster movies. Mm-hmm. 
So I, oh, yeah. I, I'm down. And the rest of the cast is uh, Harvey Keitel, Bobby Cannaval, Anna Paquin, and Ray Romano. Uh, yeah, do, you and we'll sure. to, do you think we'll get to see Harvey Keitel's junk? Uh, I mean, you know, it's possible. Yeah. I mean, ever since the piano, you got to see it. <laughs> you know, bad lieutenant. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, Paul, you want to talk about a comic book? Uh, actually, we should. Okay, this isn't well, this isn't the Quentin cast. This is Funny Books with Aaron and Polly. And today we're going to talk about Powers of Ten. Powers of Ten. So, um, like I said, uh, I, we mentioned this on our last podcast that Jonathan Hickman is has two six issue miniseries, House of Ten and Powers of Ten, and they will alternate weeks. And up until this week. You know, the, the how they tie together wasn't really clear. Um, but I think this this issue shows at least some very much tie-ins. That ultimately, you do need to read both to get the full story, I think. Right. So the, the book is written by Jonathan Hickman with art by R.B. Silva, inks by R.B. Silva and Adriano De Benedetto, And uh, colorist is uh, Marty Gracia. Uh, Gracia. Uh, and I got to tell you, I mean, straight up, the art in this book is gorgeous. Yeah, I agree. Um, um, but, you know, the, it's funny because there are two inkers in the book. And for me, I don't know if it was in my head, but I did notice um, that some pages, the inking style felt different yeah. than others. And I, I don't know, if, like I said, if it was in my head or if it was just more of a coloring thing than an inking thing, but some pages, especially towards the end or because the book is very much a couple of different stories, right. Um, that, that, that take place. And we'll, we'll go into that here in a second, but, uh, I, I just, I noticed some d- differences in the inking style. Yeah, no, I, I did too. And, you know, I'm sure it's like, okay, you do these segments. I'll do the, I'll do these other segments mm-hmm. to give that, that distinct look. Uh, I was noting that there are a ton of variant covers, uh, for this book yeah. that we don't get to see, uh, because, you know, Marvel makes you pay for the director's cut to get those. And they didn't offer a director's cut of powers of 10. I wish they, they had, I would have will. purchased it. Cause I really liked it for house of 10. My, my guess is they'll probably offer it in the next week or two when they see that the sales are good on this. So you can buy it twice. Oh, there you go. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I won't be buying it twice. But Um, I noticed that there is a George Perez and Jason Keith cover. Uh, I was like, oh, I would have liked to have seen that. There's also a Scotty Young, a Dustin Weaver. Uh, There's something by Jack Kirby and Edgar Delgado. Um, I'm I'm curious about that. I mean, it looked like they had had a nice little stack of uh, covers there. Yeah, I, well, you know, I'm, I'm sure they'll they're available online. But I am I, I am bummed that they didn't do a director's cut on this, considering how much I enjoyed it for for last week's yeah. book. Um, so, but you know, House of Ten, Aaron, what did you think overall of the book? Um, I don't think that it was as effective as House of Ten last week's House of Ten. Uh, I felt like the the story breaks, you know, they got those those uh, little vignettes and dialogues uh, by Jonathan Hickman uh, with with a little bit of his graphic art and you know sort of the the explanation of what's what's going on. Um, I thought that really worked well in the uh, in House of Ten. I didn't feel like it worked as well here in Powers of Ten. Yeah, Powers of Ten uh, really, with the exception of a couple of scenes, takes place in the very far 
uh, future of the mutants. Yep. You know, where where there's less than you know ten thousand mutants alive anywhere ever. Uh, you know, you've got you got eight mutants alive on Earth, and then a couple of thousand in uh, the the Shi'ar uh, Empire. I mean, they are they are spread out, they are hunted, they are you know in their in their waning days in this far future, and that's where the story takes place uh, it, it, for the most part. Um, I will tell you that I preferred the scenes that were more in the current setting, like the the opening scene with uh, Xavier and Moira. Um, the, the scenes where, uh, you had, you know, sort of current age with, uh, uh, Charles and Mystique, you know, there in Krakoa. Um, but when it went off into the future and it started having those story breaks, it kept pulling me out. Yeah. Yeah, Those, those, those intervals kept pulling me out. I was just kind of, I felt like I was just kind of getting my feet under me because it is so different mm-hmm. from what from what we're currently experiencing what we spent our entire time with our our great big 40 some pages with in house of 10 uh, it's jarring right yeah to, to try and place things and you've got some things that are similar and you're trying to go you know particularly for me who's been out of the x books for a long time i'm trying to you know kind of get my feet under me and i so i did i found it disorienting um that said the book is gorgeous. Um, I, I, I love I, I love the illustrations. I love the visual storytelling. Um, I actually really appreciate the dialogue between the characters. It's just the pacing really bothered me. Yeah, and I don't disagree. So um, there's there's four timelines that are represented in this book. Like Aaron said, you know the the House of Ten book is pretty much all modern day. Or in this book, it's referred to as Year Ten. Right. So there's four time frames that are referenced in this book. There's year year one, you know, basically the formation of the X-Men, the year 10, which is the modern day, year 100, and then year 1000. And the majority of this book is really spent in year 100 with future characters that do tie into some modern characters. That's one of the surprises of the book. Um but for the most part, we, we spend some time in that future with the, you know, the future Nimrod and, and things like that. You know, it, it is I've it's I've actually mentioned this before in reference to Jonathan Hickman books. Sometimes I am fully aware that Jonathan Hickman is smarter than me. Sometimes <laughs> his writing comes across too much though right um and this book was was dancing on that edge this is a very science fiction heavy uh take on the x-men more so than the previous book um you know than than house of 10 was well you know one of the things they talk about in the book and i get we're throwing out ideas right you know they're the, the the book is very much kind of, you know, where the future of the X-Men and, you know, poss- different possibilities, that kind of thing. But them talking about how the the mutants have, the you know, the Earth mutants have been used to replenish the ranks of the, the, the uh, Shi'ar uh, centurions, right? You know, the super guardians or whatever you want to call them. You know, that they've got, they've got you know, Earth mutants on that super team. Uh, I, I thought that was really cool. I'm like, I, I want to read that book. 
why am I not reading that book? Yeah. <laughs> you know, and, you know, hopefully, hopefully that will feature, you know. Yeah. You know, it's funny because they, they've announced all the – well, they've announced the first line of X titles. And um, there's one called Marauders, but I, I think all the X titles that they've announced are set in modern day. So I don't know that this is which, if any, of those – this one's leading into i found some of the ideas in here very interesting um, oh yeah you know it is like i said a very heavy science fiction that this is um you know establishing that what is happening now with charles xavier and krakatoa and all that will eventually turn into uh mutant kind being something that mankind goes too far to you know to reel in to the point that there's only ten thousand left um you know, and we don't, and and then those things turn back on mankind, and then in year ten thousand, or excuse me, year one thousand, um, Nimrod and, and and what's left of of the alien race um, is repopulating Earth with humans that they can control. So it's it's almost like this cycle, right? That we see, um, you know, you have man, mutant, mutant kind overtake man, man fight back. Man, you know, and and you know, basically, machine kind take over and repopulate with man. So it, it's a lot of heady science fiction, all within the context of this one issue, um, and and how it all fits together, I don't know yet. But yeah. uh, you know, like I said, there, there's there is a tie-in. There's a, a direct continuation to the scene with Mystique and Toad um, and Sabretooth from the House of Ten book, and that had the one thing in this book that did bother me. Which is Mystique and and Toad come through that Krakatoa portal, and she specifically says, you know, Sabretooth killed people, and Charles Xavier is in the room, and so you know it, it's I, I'm 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 just surprised that Charles Xavier is okay. Well, I think I think he's okay with it because I think he's okay with it because that's not Charles Xavier. Well, fair, and, and, I, and I'm that's, convinced that's the maker. I think you have a you know we mentioned that on the last week's show, and I, I think there's yeah because this is not at all there's nothing written about this character that feels Xavier like to me. No, yeah, no, completely. Like you know we see Char- Charles Xavier you know in before his big hat. <laughs> you know, uh, in the first part of this book, and that's clearly Charles hanging out with Moira McTaggart. Yeah, and I got to say that, that was my favorite scene in the book. I genuinely the same here. Thought that scene I love was that beautifully scene. done. Same here. I that I, exactly. Uh, but when it, you cut to that scene with you know Big Hat Xavier and the and Mystique, I'm like, that's not Charles. Yeah, that's not Charles. That's the maker. I I, 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 I you know I want to say I guarantee it. But knowing Jonathan Hickman, he's got a twist on here that that's a feint because it does look so obvious. Yeah, uh, that it's the maker. But boy, he sure doesn't seem like Charles. No, he doesn't. Right? And you know, given uh, what's happening in the future, it could very much be the makers. Uh, you know, there's yeah, because I think the maker is still around in the Marvel he universe. Is. He is still around, and uh, you know, because he came over from the Ultimate Universe. Mm-hmm. You know, when the Ultimate Universe got got eaten by Galactus. Um, so you know, he he's here in the six one six. Uh, and I, I don't think he's been up to anything in the last several, you know, several months to a year. So, you know, he, he, I, I think that, that, uh, his, his silence elsewhere in the Marvel universe is, uh, a little alarming. Yeah. So one of those vignettes, the, the little, you know, 
text explanations between the chapters is the one titled Surviving Mutants, and this is the one that I enjoyed the most. And I'll just read a little, little part of it here. It says, Two main colonies, which make up the bulk of the refugees, exist in Shi'ar space. The first, Benevolence, is a converted transit station located on the fringe of Shi'ar space where it has long served as a buffer between the Empire and the wild space-spawning grounds of brood-breeding territory. The current number of mutants living on Benevolence is just under 8,000. So you've got, you know, the mutants on the wall, right, guarding Shi'ar space from the horde of brood. That's a story I want to read. Well, I feel like we might. You know, I, I, I think we are going to get – I think what these books are setting up, and I think the reason we're seeing all these different timelines is I do think we're going to get stories set in these timelines. Um, yeah. You know, additional comic books in this new relaunch of the X books. Uh, and I think they just yeah, haven't I, been announced yet because they wanted us to see this timeline first. I have always enjoyed the mutant science fiction stories. Uh, you know, like we not too long ago, we were enjoying the Cyclops and Corsair book. Oh, yeah, that was a good book. Yeah, it was a great book that just kind of ended. Um, I, I, I would like to see more of that kind of stuff. And, you know, if we can do it in the far off future, that's great, too. Yeah. So, you know, this one wasn't quite the home run that House of Ten was. Uh, yeah. But it, it establishes a bunch, uh, you know, some interesting things. I would say interesting concepts. Um, maybe some interesting characters. There's a there's a character, silver skinned character whose name is Rasputin. Could this be the granddaughter, you know, of uh, Peter Rasputin of Colossus? Well, and, and you know, she she's you know knocking around a sword, not unlike uh, you know Peter's younger sister. Yeah, magic. Right? So so you know it, it may maybe uh, you know magic and Colossus hooked up. No, <laughs> <laughs> don't be creepy. Um, well well, next right there right there darker than Aaron 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 is that guy (laughs) well next week we will have House of Ten issue two to to discuss and you know see more of what's going on what, what Jonathan Hickman is leading to we'll also from Marvel Comics have Absolute Carnage, issue one, from Donny Cates and Ryan Stegman. It's the new Carnage-themed crossover. Uh, I, I, do you have any interest in that one, Aaron? No. <laughs> I, I, <laughs> no. I, I figured, but thought I would ask. Um, but one thing you may be interested in is that we will also have Agents of Atlas number one from Greg Pak and Jeff Parker with the new and old Agents of Atlas teams. We, we talked a bit about that when it was first announced, and I mean, I'm I'm on board for the first issue at least. I'm half excited about that one. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I'm more excited about the Jeff Parker, and the Greg Pak yeah. story, but but I do I do I do tend to like Greg Pak. So, but I, my 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 consternation is that I want the whole thing to be Jeff Parker. Yeah. Yeah. Well, also from Marvel Comics, they're just pumping out the number ones. We'll have Future Foundation issue one, the 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 new Future Foundation book. I I don't think I'm on for that one. What do you, what do you think? I'm going to have to take a look at it. I'm going to have to take a look at the preview pages. I enjoyed the previous iteration of Future Foundation. I'm not sure that absent a Jonathan Hickman on that title, that we need a new Future Foundation. Yeah, I mean, that that title very much fed, fed the need of what Hickman was doing 
in those yeah. titles. Um, so yeah, to your point, I, I don't know that I'm necessarily on board with that one. Yeah. Um, from DC Comics, we're going to have a new issue of Lois Lane. Woohoo! And a new issue of Deceased. Issue four is coming Woo-hoo. out. Um, also, Superman Up in the Sky, the Tom King, uh, Adam Kubert uh, storyline that was previously published in those Walmart uh, issues. Uh, issue yes. two comes out next week. That sounds like a very expensive week for comics yeah. coming. Yes, it is. Yeah. You know, and it's funny because, you know, you and Wayne were talking earlier. And Wayne's like, I only bought two books this week. And I'm like, holy shit, this was an expensive week for me. Probably because everything's 5 or $6. Um, I bought three books this week. Well, I picked up Batman Who Laughs. Yeah, no, that's not that's not a my, my me book. Batman Last Night on Earth. Uh-huh. Powers of also Ten. not me. <laughs> Powers of Ten. Marvel Comics Presents. And I had this interest in, um, it's a new book from Cullen Bunn from Aftershock Comics. Night's Temporal. I saw that. You have to tell me how that is. Yeah, I'm going to give it a read. I, you know, I, I, what, what I what I tend to find is that I see an independent title, I pick it up, I like the first issue, and because we're not talking about it, it basically leaves my mind. But right, uh, you know, I, I still like to give them a shot. Yeah, I picked up uh, Marvel Comics Presents this week, as as you did, as well as Fantastic Four number twelve. Hey, you'll have to know who that one is. I will. I really, I'm really enjoying Fantastic Four. I'm a few issues behind on it, so I figure I'll wait for a sale. Yeah. All right, guys. Well, uh, Paul, I, I hope you go and have yourself a horrific time uh, on your trip this weekend. And uh, we will get back t- together next week and chat with you guys then. Catch you then, guys. Bye. Bye. Podcast theme music graciously provided by Mark Andrew Pope. For more information, visit markandrewpope.com. Funny Books with Aaron and Polly is a production of ideologyofmadness.com. No Spider-Man clones were harmed in the production of this podcast.